Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your inspired scripture today, your word to us, Lord, uh, to Christians back in Paul's time and Christians now, Lord, we ask you to help us to grasp what is, what is there. Help us to understand by your Holy Spirit what you're speaking to our hearts uh, individually and corporately. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is righteous. Man is not. In his epistle to the Romans, the Apostle Paul shows that. And he shows that it is man's own fault that he is not righteous because God did all that he could to help us. We know from Genesis 1 that God made man in his own image and likeness. And we are reminded from the Apostle Paul in Romans that what may be known of God is manifest or clearly known within man, for God has shown it to them. That's in Romans 1. God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and Godhead or, or his divinity are clearly seen, Paul says, being understood by the things that are made. But Paul tells us in Romans 1 what the problem is. It is that man didn't glorify God as God, nor were they thankful. And furthermore, it was that man suppressed the truth about God in unrighteousness. You see, because, you see, because man was created in the image and the likeness of God, he was designed to reveal the magnificence of his creator more so than any other created thing. He was to do so in righteousness, submitting to God in obedience and in doing good to his fellow man. But of course, we know man failed in these very things. The first generation disobeyed God and the second generation murdered his brother. And thus, man became futile in their thoughts, Paul writes, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That is man's general condition before Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ was sent to save us. Nevertheless, before this, down through history, God raised up certain men to help his people, men who sought after God and worshiped God, men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, men like Joseph, and later on Moses and the prophets, men like King David. And God did great things things through these men and made great promises to them. Back with Abraham, God separated him uh, and gave him the right of circumcision to distinguish him and his descendants whom God took as his own. And later on, gave Mo God gave Moses and his people his law after he delivered them from slavery. 
The Mosaic law revealed God's righteousness to his people. But being human, God's people could not live up to it, being fallen humans. And thus sacrifices were also included, sacrifices of repentance and sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Eventually, as Paul shows in Romans, God's people misinterpreted it all, thinking that the more they abided by the law, the more they proved their own righteousness, and thus they used God's law as a standard of righteousness to justify themselves rather than to judge themselves by. But justification is, of course, impossible because everyone falls short before God. Justification before God is impossible because everyone falls short. As Paul said in Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. In other words, the law was not a way to justification as they had thought and sought. Jesus, when he came, showed that righteousness was more of a heart thing, which came about and was revealed by desiring to please God and to do his will. But what about all the Gentiles in this? Where did Gentiles stand? Jews had the law of righteousness, the, the law uh, of the righteous God to reflect upon and to try to abide by. But the Gentiles did not. Well, Paul made it clear that both Jews and Gentiles were still both under sin. And he showed that in all the time before the first coming of Jesus Christ, God in his forbearance had simply passed over most sins that were previously committed, I guess that being after the flood. And with God's own people, the sins were acknowledged and passed, passed over with the various rites and sacrifices that were prescribed. But with the Gentiles, as Paul said in Acts 17, 30 to 31, they were simply overlooked. Say, he said, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this, to all by the raising by raising him that is Jesus from the dead so god had overlooked overlooked and passed over sins and he had done that as paul says in in verse 26 of romans 3 to demonstrate at the present time 
his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith who has faith in Jesus that is he did that to demonstrate his righteousness and his mercy to those who put their faith in Jesus how did that all work well that's what the whole epistle of Romans is about God had revealed his righteousness first in blessing his creation then he revealed it more so to his chosen people in the giving of his law and his people were to acknowledge him being thankful and and to strive for righteousness while repenting and making sacrifices where they fell short looking for and believing in God's mercy to come and when Jesus came God revealed his righteousness in a new and complete way through Jesus himself the personification of righteousness of righteousness and and through Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross for all humanity the epitome of God's righteousness and justification and and mercy and redemption our righteousness then comes only through faith in Jesus righteousness in Jesus's righteousness and in his self-sacrifice for our sake and that's what Paul tells us in in the book of Romans and that's basically what the whole Bible tells us as a whole and that's what Paul meant when he wrote but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. That again is from chapter 3 of Romans, uh, verses uh, 21 through 25. And Paul asks then in verse 27, where is the boasting then? He says, it is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So you see, man could never be justified before God by the deeds of the law. Men Men might be justified before other men by deeds of the law, but never can they be justified before a perfect God by the deeds of his law, by doing the deeds of his law. Hence, our need of being forgiven and justified before God remained until Jesus came and gave his life for that purpose. And now those who believe in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ for their justification have all of that taken care of for them. 
But that leaves another question for us, and, and the question is that of our text today. It is a question of ongoing sin in Christians, and it's a difficult question. Of course, even as Christians, we are still only human. We are not yet glorified, and therefore, as we walk this earth, we are still susceptible to sin. We still have a sin nature, and we still fail, sometimes often. But some people in Paul's time were using Paul's doctrine and twisting it, saying it doesn't really matter if we sin now that Jesus paid it all. And thus, sin in the Christian community was on the rise. And the Jewish Christians, they were saying the opposite. They were saying, no, 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 we still have to follow the law. And you had this, this, this strange uh, thing happening in the, the early church, this tension. And that tension exists in the church today. There are some very legalistic Christians, and there are some Christians that still have the opinion that because Jesus paid for all sins, past and future, that they don't have to worry about it. And of course, it's true that Jesus did pay for all sins. But what about our original purpose being to reveal the magnificence and the holiness of God to others and to honor God and praise him? How could we go on sinning and still honor our holy and righteous God? Well, they claim and claimed um, that it could honor God, still honor God by revealing his great mercy in his forgiveness. And, and while that may be somewhat true uh, in the case of the Apostle Paul, who was a misinformed murderer of Christians, but was sought out and enlightened by God and given new birth in Jesus Christ, uh, yes, that does show the great mercy of God and forgiveness, but after true birth happens, that is never the case. After new birth, there should always be holiness. But the question is how if we still have a sin nature? Well, Paul puts this dilemma before us in Romans 7, writing, and I'm going to read the whole passage here. This is our part of our text today. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Verse 18. For the, um, in uh, yeah, Romans 7, um, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, 
but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I find then a law that is evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, I believe that this is a Christian speaking. It's not uh, just a, um, a Jew that wants to um, do the right thing. And I don't believe it's the Apostle Paul in his present state, maybe in his past state. I don't know. But I believe it's a voice of a carnal Christian that Paul is relating to with this expression of this struggle uh, that cries for a solution. And looking at this, I believe that all Christians have to realize, first of all, and have to admit that we all still have a natural bent towards sin. It is there and it will be there until the day we either die or are raptured to heaven. But the good news is that we no longer, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer enslaved by our sin nature unless, and Paul teaches this, unless we yield to its desires, unless we obey um, our sinful desires. As Christians, we have a choice now not to obey that. Before we did not, but now we do. Now that Christ has come within us and has given us his spirit, we have a choice. We are not enslaved. We have to realize, too, that as we have a natural bent towards sin, we now, being new creations in Christ, have a new spiritual bent toward righteousness, thanks to Jesus and all he's done for us. We have that new, his, his spirit put within us, Jesus's nature or his spirit in us. And that is the, the great truth that we have to grasp from, from, from Romans. Now, it's really not, uh, Romans isn't that easy to understand. You really have to study it. And even me being a pastor for a while now, I didn't realize some very important truths about, about Paul when he speaks um, about carnality until just recently. This new understanding came to me a few weeks ago through another pastor who is much more seasoned than I, my wife Maria's pastor. Oh, you didn't know uh, my wife Maria had another pastor? Well, she does. His name is Adrian Rogers, and though he passed away 
um, a few years ago, his sermons are still broadcast weekday mornings on the Mars Hill Network. And after she drops off Alia at the school bus each day, Maria comes home and she listens diligently to Pastor Rogers, uh, more so than she does me. Uh, but uh, by under I understand he's, he's, he's very good. Uh, so good that I often uh, get sucked in myself as I'm having my, my breakfast and I learned a lot from him as well, as you see here. Well, the truth that he enlightened me about a few weeks ago was the fact that when Paul or when Scripture speaks about carnal people, it is most often speaking about Christians. And Pastor Rogers separates uh, people into three categories. One, non-Christians or people of the world. Two, carnal Christians or Christians who believe like Christians but who live like people of the world. And three, spiritual Christians, Christians who believe and live like Christians. Well, carnal Christians are the ones who Paul is referring to in the end of chapter 7 of Romans. They struggle in this way. And probably all of us fall into this category at one point or another in our Christian walk. But Paul had already described in chapter 6, the chapter before, how not to. In chapter 6, Paul said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. That's, uh, I finished, um, yeah, that's uh, chapter 6, and I finished in verse 4. Now, I want to say that again. Um, Therefore, we were buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We should, but not everyone does. And Paul goes on, For if we have been united together in, his, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be united in the likeness of his resurrection. So the question becomes, have we been united in Jesus' death? Did we ever actually die to our carnal nature? Or, or as my favorite Oswald Chambers puts it, do I agree with God's verdict? Or did I agree with God's verdict on my disposition of sin, that it should be identified with the death of Jesus. That's what it deserves. But many who call themselves Christians have never 
got to that point, have never done that. Many still believe that because they are better than most or because they think they can manage a good Christian life on their own, that they don't need or don't deserve to be identified with Christ's death. And if that's you, then you never died, spiritually speaking. So how can you identify with Christ's resurrection and Christ's life? We must, as Christians, go through that. We must, as Christians, get to the point of hopelessness in our own self-sufficiency or we will never live victoriously in Christ's life. Paul goes on to explain in verse 6 that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with. And that is actually what baptism is all about, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the key to release the reckoning of ourselves dead in baptism. For he who has died, Paul writes, has been freed from sin. So there, there is one thing to do if you've never realized that. And many, I know many Anglicans have been um, um, baptized uh, when they were infants. And if this wasn't gone through uh, and taught to them in in their confirmation classes uh, many years later, and this net was never understood. Well, there's one thing to do. It is to reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Reckon yourselves crucified with Christ, admitting that yes, you deserve what he took. Count yourselves then dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12 of chapter 6. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. You see, because of what Jesus has done for you and you identifying in his death, and because he's given you his spirit and his life, you now have that power you now have his power within you so use it verse 13 and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to god as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to god for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. I think I'm going to continue uh, on actually in Romans 8 next week, uh, but let's close uh, for now in prayer. Lord God, again, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the glorious truths that you um, gave to us through your prophets and apostles, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, pray that Lord, we will, we will understand, Lord, all of these truths. Lord, help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Open our minds to your truth and open our hearts to your Son.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.